And so today we're actually speaking out of Exodus, talking about the actual Exodus today. And I'm calling it the wilderness way because I want to zero in on a few pieces that are here. And it, and it specifically has to do with how we interact and how we respond to God. Because God has each of us on a journey and he's calling each of us to actually follow him. And sometimes the way we're following him, we think we're making decisions. And later we look back and we see God was having mercy on us and was shielding us. Other times we feel as if people keep pushing us into scenarios that we, we may not want to be in. And we feel like everything is being decided. So like if an, an example of this that always tickles me just a little bit is, you know, I'm a man, I made a decision to get married. So now I have a wife and now she has needs. And then we have children and then they have needs. And suddenly I'm going, but, 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 but I wanted to do all this other stuff. Why, why, am I, why am I bound down? And why do they get to make all my decisions? Well, I made that decision back when I decided to marry her and when, I, when we, we had children. That was a decision I made. And if I counted the cost, good. If I didn't count the cost, I'm, I'm really struggling now. And so there are times when we make a decision way back here that then comes along with us. And as we're walking, that decision keeps affecting us, keeps affecting us, keeps affecting us. And we need to almost be rescued or redeemed from ourselves. So if it's a bad decision, we have to be rescued from ourselves. If it was a good decision, but we just don't hate, we, we just don't like it right now and we hate it, we don't like the cost of the good decision, then we need redemption and we need the Holy Spirit to be able to, en to enable us to actually be able to, to follow through with what we've been given. And so as we look at the wilderness way, um, as I said before, a lot of times when we look at a, an account in scripture and we see someone who's being faithful, we automatically more or less identify with that person. When we see a group that is being oppressive or unfaithful, we sort of put them over there and say, well, those people did this or that. So usually when we read through something like Exodus, the Egyptians are over there and we're over here with the oppressed Israelites. But in reality, there may be times when we are the oppressors in our life, not even trying, but just that that's what happens. Now, it is also possible to try and then to be an oppressor. But a lot of times when we hear of these accounts, it's not that somebody set out, like the Egyptians. The Egyptian people didn't set out to enslave the Israelites. In fact, when it first happened, the Israelites sold one of their own to the, to the Egyptians in a roundabout way. So it wasn't like the, the Egyptians were going, how can we take over that little group of people up there in Mesopotamia? They weren't setting out to do this, but through a series of events that most of the Egyptians were kind of clueless about, God was writing a story and he was telling something that was happening and the Israelites were walking a, a path that we look back now and we say, wow, that, makes, that, that is so meaningful what it means to us now what they did. But at the time, if you would have been living in it, you would have had your days of confusion, your days of doubt, your days of fear, your days of, quite frankly, being sick and tired of the circumstances, maybe days of boredom. Uh, and, but then eventually we would come to this point where we are right now, where Moses has come. We have all of the, 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 the there's been numerous different um, I think my notes are wrong. Oh, no, here we go. Perfect. Okay. 
Okay, I for a minute thought I had the wrong chapters written down and I was about to start reading the wrong place. So when we're walking with God, it is important for us to look back at what has happened, at least seasonally, to say, how did God lead me? And if you're like me, you might have an, a tendency to discount the things that God did in your life back then in light of what God has done in your life since then, where you basically say, well, I was young then, I didn't understand God all the way, and so we wanna discount that and say, well, no, I was a younger person, yes, I was still learning, yes, but I was genuinely seeking the Lord and God was genuinely reaching out to me and protecting me and guiding me and providing for me. That is a very legitimate part of my testimony, what happened in my past. So I don't want to discount that and throw it away. We need to keep that in mind as we thank God for where we are now. We, it is permissible to say, if I could go back there with everything I know and have experienced since then, I would do things differently. But don't discount the fact that God actually was interacting with us with our younger selves. So we're at a point here in Exodus We've been given the explanation of the Passover. They have kept the Passover. The firstborn of the Egyptians has been killed. And now it's morning time and the Israelites are being sent out. And so in Exodus chapter 13, we're going to read the last couple of verses. Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. And so this is right after... Everything has happened. Moses and Pharaoh have not met again. It's just Moses and Pharaoh were finished with their conversation. Pharaoh had not chosen to listen to or, or to listen to or obey God at all. And Moses had gone and instructed the children of Israel. They had chosen to listen to him and to obey God. And in verse 17 of Exodus 13, it says, It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now I want to just take a moment and think about this. The most direct path would have been through the land of the Philistines, and later we find that by the time we get to King David, like who is he fighting? He's fighting the Philistines. And had the children of Israel gone straight through the land of the Philistines, would there have been a war, a battle? Yes, there would have been. Was it one that God actually intended for them to fight? Well, yes, we see it later that this was a battle that, he would, that God intended for his people to fight. But he said, lest they see the war and don't want to go on, I'm going to take them this other way. And so think about this. God led them to an impossibility in order to avoid a difficulty. And I want you to think about that because I think this happens to us. We see something difficult ahead and we're like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to do that. And we might turn around. We might say, you know what? I don't really need to do this thing. And we might leave the process. And God says, no, I want you over there. So God might take us to an impossibility because when we hit an impossibility, see, if, we, if they hit the war, they would have said, oh, we need to figure out how to make armies and how to do all of this, and they would have had to organize, and they did this later. 
but they would have been faced with how to defend themselves, how to actually fight, how to line up. Uh, They would have had to organize all of this stuff. Was it stuff they could have figured out? Well, yes, they could have. They would have needed heart and vision to do it. They were not ready. They were in a baby situation with their faith. They needed to truly trust God. But when they came over to the Red Sea, we'll see some more here of what happens because it's, let's continue reading. So this is now Exodus 13 and verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying, he, this is talking about Joseph. He had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And in fact, there's a, he's, he stays with them in a visible presence for their entire sojourn in the wilderness. And there's a specific time when we see that, it, that he ceases to be with them in this way. But he's walking with them. He says, now, if I take them this way, they're going to hit a difficulty and they will complain and turn back. So I'm going to take them this other way. But he's visibly present with them. God is visibly present with them. And so this is, I think, important for us um, in considering our journey as we look back and we see now God was present with us. He was present with us. He was present with us. There are times when uh, in the, the play that HSE does here with Pilgrim, the Pilgrim's Progress play, there are times in that play where they, where they show that the king, which would be Jesus, is walking with Pilgrim the entire journey. But Pilgrim can't see Jesus with his physical eyes. And so there are moments where you see the king walking with him, protecting him from falling into places, guiding his steps. And the, to me, the most, one of the more telling moments that just to me reflects my own heart is Pilgrim is, is going, Lord or king, why are you not with me? And he's complaining and complaining about it. And all the time, the king is right there with him, protecting him from falling into this pitfall and falling into that pitfall. He's with him the whole time. Our experience is sometimes like that, where we're saying, Lord, I want to see your visible presence. Why are you not here? And in reality, in the Christian's walk, we have God with us. As he gave us that promise in Matthew, he said, I will be with you always. Go, make disciples, teach them baptize them. And he said, I'm going to be with you the whole time. And so in Exodus, we have a very visual picture of God being visibly present with the children of Israel. Now let's go to Exodus 14 and we'll continue reading through here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel. So notice what's happening here. This happens actually quite a bit. God comes and tells Moses what Pharaoh is going to do. Pharaoh is back home and he has an idea and he thinks he's coming up with it all by himself. And God is telling Moses what Pharaoh is going to do. There is a, there is a word, I believe it's over in Amos, the prophet Amos, where, he talks, where God talks about uh, how he reveals his secrets to his saints. To his, and, and basically, the concept that you find in scripture is that 
if you are listening to the Lord, God is always looking for people that he can reveal his secrets to. And so we can be busy reading the news, keeping up to date on everything that's going on, what, who's saying what, what, what hap, what's happening where, or we can be pressing in to the Lord and he is willing to reveal the secrets of what is happening to his people. And so I've, I've often thought of that, is that I, I, I love it and I've experienced it very um, clearly a few times where I was given to know what was happening in other places by, uh, in other people's lives because of an intersection that was about to happen or because it was someone that I needed to be praying for and then I would have confirmation later of actually what happened and how it happened. And it was, it was really neat to see that, that God is able to reveal to us what is happening elsewhere. And so God is coming and speaking to Moses going, let me tell you what's about to happen. Pharaoh, verse three, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered. By the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so that is what happened. So what's fascinating to me is that God is still going, I want the Egyptians to know. He says, I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. I wanted Pharaoh to know, but at this point, Pharaoh has chosen consistently to not care about the word of the Lord. I don't care about Pharaoh anymore, but I still care about the Egyptians. I want the Egyptians to know. What we don't know, because our account follows the Israelites, we don't know what happened in the normal households of the Egyptians that had been around the Israelites. After all of this happened, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know, did they turn to the Lord? We do know that for the next couple thousand years, Israelites would regularly flee down to Egypt and find and actually find safety with them. Jesus himself did this. Um, there is good cause to believe that the gospel of Mark was written in Egypt for these very reasons after Peter's death. And so we have, uh, or that at least it was, it was present there. And so there is, is a fascinating thought that here, the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, thinking of Egypt as the world and the enemy, but in the future, Christians, believers, and the children of God keep coming back for shelter to Egypt in different ways. So this is, this is just, when you study history, you start seeing God's hand everywhere in what he's doing. So let's keep reading. Now, verse five. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So I like it because Pharaoh said the children of Israel are gonna be confused by the wilderness and the lay of the land. But then Pharaoh himself is confused. Like, why did we let these people go? Why, what, what was, he's, has he really forgotten everything that just transpired? Has he really forgotten his own dead son? Has he really forgotten all of this? So verse six, it says, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Now, I want to point out the fact that there's 600 horses left in Egypt means that somebody in the servants of Pharaoh was alert enough to what Moses was saying to protect those horses at a time when the hail was coming and when the livestock was dying. And so when it says all the chariots of Israel and says 600 horses, I am going to 
propose that there were probably a lot more than 600 horses available to Pharaoh a couple months ago. This is what he has left. So he takes his entire army that he has left and he pieces it together. And the fact that he doesn't even have all of his chariots and all of his horses should be a warning to him, but he's not thinking in those terms. So it says in verse seven, also he took, so he took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pihirath before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now, from a perspective, going back to the question I asked when I was 21, of going, how, what is my part in the kingdom of heaven? What is my part as a citizen of America? This is a hard question because they're asking, why can't we just stay in Egypt and just serve God, serve the Egyptians and keep serving, you know, why can't we do that? And God says, well, because I've called you out and I want you over here in the land of Canaan, in the promised land, I have something for you to do. I have way better than what is here. Now, most of the people that are complaining on this day never make it to the land of promise because of their unbelief later, as we'll see. But God is leading them out and he's giving them opportunities and as he's bringing them out, they're complaining, why can't we just stay here? Now, there is another time when the prophets of the Lord speak something that seems the exact opposite of this, and it's when Nebuchadnezzar comes and is taking people into Babylon, and they're trying to encourage each other, say, we've got to fight against him. This is the land God gave us. And are they right? Is that the land God gave them? Yes, it is the land God gave them. Is it the same promised land that God is saying, I'm taking the children of Israel to? It is. And yet the prophets are saying, Stop. Don't try to defend this. Don't try to fight for this. Just go to Babylon, plant houses, grow gardens, get married, have children, and just serve your time in Babylon. And when it's time, I'll bring you back. And so there's, a, there's a, a, an interesting thing for you if you're trying to figure out how do I fit? Where am I supposed to be? And what it really comes down to is God is usually at work doing something bigger than just the geographical location of his people but sometimes the geographical location of his people really matters. And so we want to have a heart that's tender toward God, and we want to ask about that, but we want to be aware that God is doing something that is bigger than just moving people around. There's something more at work. And in fact, had the children of Israel, when they got to the land of promise, had they kept their Sabbaths and their Jubilee years and all of that stuff, they wouldn't have had to be carried off into Babylon. God was putting the fields to rest for the 70 years. And had, he not, had they obeyed God while they were in the land, they would not have gone through that. That's a whole different sermon for a different day, 
but it's a good mem- uh, reminder for us because they're going, they're coming out of Egypt going, why, why couldn't we just stay there? And Moses is having to deal with all of this noise and Moses is having to hear from God while people are jabbering at him about all of this stuff. And so they're coming and complaining and Moses is going, okay, there's the Egyptians, there's the Red Sea, here's all of us. All right, Lord, what do you want to do? And so the children of Israel are complaining. But look what Moses says in verse 13. He, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Keep walking. Verse 16, but lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went, be- went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. This is so awesome. The presence of God comes between his people and their enemies, and he, and he is to one a light and to the other darkness. And so it's, it's fascinating to me to see this, that Moses comes to the Lord, the Lord, and, he, and he, he speaks very well to the people. Moses says, listen, you need to know that you belong to God and he's going to make a way. So don't be afraid, keep going, don't give up. And he's, he's speaking to them in faith after they have spoken to, them, to him in fear. And then the Lord is speaking to Moses with this and he says, look, I'm going to come between you and he's giving instructions to Moses. Moses is actually hearing the Lord and is obeying the Lord. The children of Israel at this point are not hearing, they're not obeying. And this is the concern that would have happened over with the, um, with the Philistines is if God would have spoken and said, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to go forward, the children of Israel would have been complaining and afraid and not willing to hear and obey. And this is, a, this is a huge point because this is where I wanna come back to the, this moment here of what's going on in the hearts of God's people. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So the when the Amish ministers would preach through this at communion, I, I remember several of them specifically 
um, the way they would preach this would be that, that, you know, God looks down out of the cloud and the Egyptians see the face of God. And, you know, the, the connection they were making is you can't, you know, no man can see the face of God and live. And so the destruction that happened. So from the time I was a little boy, at least I'm pretty sure the minister said that. Um, I'm not, it's not in our script. I haven't gone back and looked at the German, what Luther had translated to see if he had put it in there, that they saw the face of God or not. But they always reported it as if he, they had. And so I always saw this thing where, you know, God looks down from the cloud, the children, the Egyptians are going and they suddenly see this and it just, everything falls apart and then God stops it. And so now I might've given you that mental image as well. And it's not exactly in the scripture here um, like that, but it was the image that for the longest time, when I think of this, I think of that because of what the Amish ministers used to say. But the, I, I just find it fascinating that here comes the Lord. He looks upon them and th- their chariot wheels are falling off. Things are falling apart and they're suddenly going, oh no, we've got to get away from Israel because the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. We've just had 10 plagues. We've just had all of this other stuff. Should they not have known that God is going to fight for the Egyptians? But now they know it. They say, oh, he's going to fight for, for them. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 28, then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the land of the, out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And so we have the, this moment now, God said earlier, I want the Egyptians to know. And then at the end of this, the portion that we just read, next comes Moses' song that he leads the children of Israel in. And we have this, but we have this moment where it says the children of Israel saw what God had done and they believed. So this is important and this is vital. Because going back to the earlier statement where God led them to an impossibility to avoid a difficulty. See, there's been times in my life where if you would have taken me somewhere where I could figure it out, I would have spent all my time trying to figure it out. And I either would have said, you know, that's just not worth it. Or I would have, through great difficulty, figured it out and then said, look what I did. But there's been multiple times in my life where instead of the difficulty, God said, here, let me bring you over here. And I came right smack dab up against an impossibility, something that I could not figure out, something that I could not accomplish in my own strength. No matter how much time or money or energy you gave me, I didn't know how I was going to do this. And yet I felt like God had brought me here and it was an impossibility. And I've heard multiple different people speaking of the impossibility side of of the message. And one line that really stuck out to me was how when things are impossible, that is a good thing because then God can work because what is impossible with man, God can do. It's not a problem with him. We have that scripture, you know, the things when, when the disciples were asking about rich men getting into heaven and, and, and Jesus literally said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter into heaven. And, and they're like, how can this even happen then? And he said, well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. In fact, it's no problem with God. God can do the things that we cannot do. And so what's happening in this account is 
He takes them away from something that he could have helped them through. He could have strengthened them. He could have even done what he did with Gideon later, where he could have given them some bizarre way of fighting back and the Philistines would have fallen back and they could have walked through. But instead, he took them to something not a single one of those Israelites had ever parted the water in any, any body of water and walked through it ever before. Later on, when we get to Jordan, it happens again. And then we get to the prophet Elijah and Elisha. And when Elisha walks back down from the mountain with the mantle of Elijah, he gets to the water, he hits it with the mantle, it splits, he walks through. So now we have some mentality, some idea that God can do this. But the children of Israel had no idea that God could do that. Can he just take the Red Sea and split? They had no concept for this. They might have had a concept they could fill it with blood. They'd seen that in the plagues. There were other things, but to think, oh yeah, God does this all the time. He can split the water. Like now, if you put me in a very difficult situation with a bunch of God's people and we've got the armies coming, we get up next to some water, I- I'm seriously going to ask, Lord, is this what we're here for? Because I've seen the, the, I've heard about this. I've read the accounts, but they had none of that. It was a complete impossibility for them. And so as they came up to the Red Sea, and they were camped there and say, they see the Egyptians. They're thinking, what can we do? There's nothing we can do. It was a complete impossibility. When I was 19 or 20 and I was just starting with the chalk art ministry, I had built an easel of my own and you know, I had bought some plywood and some things and I created the light, but it was, it was so huge. The light bar up here and everything, it was so big that in order to take it anywhere, I had to use either a Suburban or a pickup and I would have to fold all the seats down in the back of the Suburban and use that entire space pretty much for the easel. So if I was going somewhere to do a chalk drawing, it could just be me and whoever was in the front seat. I couldn't have anyone in the back because it was full of my easel and stuff. And so this is what I was hauling around and it, would, it, was, it was big and it was clunky, but it's what I had. To get an easel that all fit into a box and was easy to transport, well, I had the people that made it, I had gotten the price sheet from them. It was, it was almost $2,000. And so you might as well have told me it was going to cost $2 million. For me, the $2,000 was an impossibility. But I had thought, you know what? I bet you I can do this. I can do, I can, and, I, and so I was working as a mechanic. So I was, I was doing these jobs and I was thinking, well, if we do this. And I, I was, for about a year, I kept thinking, I think I know how I can do this. And I was trying to save up. And after a year, I remember one afternoon, and we had listened, as a family, we had listened to one of these talks where someone talks about how God deals with the impossible. And I remember one afternoon calling my mom and just saying, you know, I've been praying, I've been trying to figure this out, and I just don't even know how I'm going to get the money. Now, what I needed was a down payment of like $600 or something to just start the process so I could reserve my easel and then they would start making it and then I'd pay the rest. But even the down payment at the time was too much for me. And so I I remember talking with my mom that afternoon and, I, and on the phone, I was just saying, you know, I was praying this morning and I realized that it's just impossible for me to get the easel. And she was like, well, I'm glad to hear that because now maybe God can do it. <laughs> I was like, thank you, mom. You're always so supportive. Um, <laughs> but then I was thinking, you know what? She's right. It's impossible. I can't figure it out. And so I just did that afternoon. I said, Lord, I have tried to figure this out and I haven't been able to figure it out. So if you want 
me to have this easel. You're going to have to provide for it. And I am not going to try to figure it out anymore. So that was like on a Tuesday. And then that Friday, this lady, I had worked for her husband earlier uh, in previous years, and he had passed away from cancer. And so she called me, and she was like, hey, can you swing by the house this afternoon? Now, this happened all the time. I'd go do things for her, things that her husband, you know, because now she was living at home alone, and she didn't have, sometimes her sons came through and did stuff, but they lived a couple hours away. And so anyway, I went by the house thinking she had something for me to do. Well, she, I walk in, and she's like, here, I wanted to, you to have this. This is, uh, the way she said it was like, you know, doc, we, we're giving the inheritance out to the children, and I wanted to make sure you get something. So what it was, it was a check for $1,000. And so I looked at that check for $1,000, and, you know, again, it, it might as well have been a million-dollar check for, for where I was coming from. Um, I think my paycheck at the time was $220 a week before you subtracted the stuff, um, the taxes and things. And so to make ends meet, you know, do all the, you know, it was just, it was, that was not that much money. I mean, I was living okay, but like I couldn't have provided for a wife very well at the time. And so I take that $1,000 and I just remember going home and showing it to my parents going, look at this. Remember what we were talking about the easel the other day, like, and that it was impossible? Just, just look, I think God actually wants me to have an easel. <laughs> and so my faith was slowly waking up. And so then I remember sending in a $1,000 check to reserve my easel. And then what was amazing about it was once I had that there, then things happened and suddenly I had the rest of the money. By the time I went to pick up the easel um, at, the, at a chalk art class a couple months later, I had all the money and I was able to pay it all off, bring the easel home. And so it was amazing because it was impossible. I couldn't even save $50 before. And then something impossible happened and I had the $1,000 on the, on the, there for the easel. And then the next almost $1,000 came. And I don't even know how all it came, but I had it when I needed it. And so what was amazing is how my faith grew from going, well, this is impossible and understanding correctly that if it's impossible with me, that does not mean that it's impossible with God, but I, I'm going to let him decide on this one. And then he showed his way strong. And then from there, he began to provide in a lot of other small ways and it just happened. And so there's something that happens to our faith when we see God do something that's impossible that will then prepare us to do all the smaller pieces of something. And so if you see this and you see what happens with the children of Israel, they go through this impossibility, they go through several other impossibilities, and then they get to the point where they actually draw the sword and go into battle for themselves. So that by the time they're entering to the children into the promised land, the ones who are left, the people that were 20, uh, 19 and under, that the, those children, they remembered crossing the Red Sea. They remembered crossing the Jordan. They remembered how God fought for them. They even, they get to remember all of these things that God had done, the water coming out of the rock in the wilderness, the manna from the sky. They remember all of this. And so their faith is growing so that when, when Joshua says, we're going to go in and we're going to march around the Jericho and we're going to do this, they don't say, whoever does this kind of thing, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? They're not saying that anymore. They're going, okay, that's what God wants us to do. Let's go do it. And off they go and they march around Jericho and they see God at work. Now, they still have to protect themselves from sin because we see with Ai, with Achan, 
taking something from Jericho, hiding it, disobeying the Lord, and now sin is in the camp and it affects their ability to actually have faith and walk with God. And so we have that responsibility always of, of guarding ourselves from disobeying the Lord and, and, and walking in sin because we want to see God at work. But there is a there is, a, there is a necessity. So at the beginning, we read this, we have Moses, he's listening to the Lord in the midst of the accusations and the complaints. He's obeying the Lord in the midst of other people who are going, what are we gonna do? We should have just stayed in Egypt. He's actually able to obey and lead the people. He's operating in faith. The children of Israel are not. And so there is, a, there is something for us to see with this is that with the children of Israel later and several members in particular that are already there as young people, as they're growing in this, they are going to see God at work. We have Caleb who's there. He walked the entire time in faith. He enters the promised land against all odds. And so when we look at that picture and we say, well, there's all of these people and Moses himself doesn't make it in the promised land, but you've got Caleb and Joshua and they go through the entire thing. And when Jesus said that, the, that you know, here's the narrow gate and few there be that find it, I look at this account of all these children of Israel. They've just seen everything that God did with the plagues in Egypt, and yet they're not ready fully to understand. And so this is it's a challenge for me because I don't want to take it for granted that I'm just going to waltz right on in and it's going to be easy. Because honestly, I am a human, and when something gets hard, I question my decisions. I question, is this the path I'm supposed to walk on? Occasionally, God blesses me with an impossibility and says, instead of taking you through difficult things where you have to exercise your faith and you have to fight your battle through this, I'm going to bring you right up impossible, and you're going to have to cry out to me because you can't do anything until I give you the word, and then Maybe his word is stretch out the rod to Moses, but Moses does it. Now, has Moses any experience? Did he go to the water splitting schools? Like he's never done any of this either. He is listening only to the Lord, but he also has walked with the Lord from the burning bush down into Egypt. He has spoken to Pharaoh. He's spoken to the people. He has done all this conversation. And then he has said, tomorrow this is going to happen. And tomorrow it happened. So he's beginning to, he's not having any problem understanding that God is able to do what he says he will. So when God tells me to go tell them, I go tell them and that's what happens. So Moses is 100% convinced. The children of Israel are not. They are having to walk with this. So, but Israel then sees the great work of God and they get to walk in the great work of God. This is what I find awesome about it is Children of Israel standing here, Egyptians over there, great Red Sea here. And as they, God does the miracle, they still have to walk in it. They literally have to take the steps and walk through the Red Sea. They actually have to exercise a faith that they almost don't even have, but they have to walk through the Red Sea. Now, I don't know how bad it was for them. Were they looking? Because, you know, in my imagination as a child was like, here's this glass water and there's fish swimming around in there and it's like an aquarium and I'm walking through it, you know. Uh, I, I don't know what it was actually like for them. It might have been roiling waters. It might have been so far back that they didn't even see it. Um, because it's, it actually talks about how far back um, went with the Jordan later, it talks about how far back it went and this, that. So we don't actually know exactly what happened, but the waters did crash together at one point and destroy all the Egyptians. We know that. And so we're left with some imagination of what that would have looked like. But what's amazing to me is that the children of Israel, 
were not standing there going, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do and hearing from God? Moses was. They obeyed Moses because they understood that he was hearing from the Lord. And it says that last verse there, verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And we also see that later with Joshua when he leads them across the Jordan River. It's, there's things that happen and it says that the children of Israel, uh, that, that Joshua was being exalted in the eyes of the children of Israel. So there's something here that I wanted to point out too. We have the Israelites leaving Egypt, going through the Red Sea, and then later we have them going through the Jordan into the promised land. Leaving Egypt is not the same as entering the promised land. We've talked about that before. It is a necessary part of our journey. We have to leave the world behind. We have to turn toward God. We have to go where he's asking us to go. And for each of us, that might be a slightly different place. It might be geographical, but very possibly it will not be as much geographical as it will be an understanding where we're coming from and how we interact with other people. It might be an emotional place. It might occasionally be more of an intellectual place, but a lot of times it's a place of faith. It's where I am comfortable here and God says, I'm saving you from here. Or maybe we're not comfortable. Maybe we're so lost in sin and it's horrible and we're completely uncomfortable. And God says, well, I want to take you from there. And we start the journey. We start walking with him. And as we're walking with him, he is trying to get us to a specific location whether that location is geographical or a spiritual place or a place of influence or just a place where we are to spend our, the space where we're supposed to end up. He's trying to take us there. This is our land of promise. This is where we're fulfilling the work of the Lord. This is where we're obeying God. We're hearing his voice. We're doing it. He's trying to get us to that place. But our first, we have to first leave the place where we are. We have to actually make some exit before we can enter into where we're going. So there's a mirror image here that we have with the children of Israel, whereas they, the Exodus is one side of it and the entrance into the Jordan is the other side of it. So if I'm making a movie about the children of Israel, I might put those on both ends because it's, it's nice having mirror imagery in, in your film. Like you, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but in some particular films, you will get either the, the cinematography will look very, very similar, or there will be something else that will be very, like. At the beginning, they're leaving. At the end, they're coming home or something like that. And so there is a, in, in God's storytelling, he's, he's giving us a mirror side of it. God is going to save us out of something. And so if God is calling us, if God is saving you out of something, no matter what it is, if God is saving you out of it, he is also saving you into something. It's not just that he's wanting you just to, this is the, the, the thing that Jesus said when he says that there was the, 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 the man and the spirits that had left the house. And as they, they left the house and when they came back later, they, they looked into the house and, and it was cleaned and swept. So we would say the man had been saved from something. So maybe the demons that were the spirits that had been cast out, maybe it was an addiction. Maybe, I don't know for sure what it was, but it was something. And so he had stopped doing that. His life had gotten cleaned up. But when the spirit comes back and looks in, it says, well, it's empty. And so Jesus doesn't save us just to clean us so he can have an empty vessel. He actually wants to fill us with something. He wants to fill us with himself. He wants us to be full of him and to be used by him. And so 
it, what it says, what Jesus said is then that, that evil spirit went and found seven other spirits worse than himself and they come back in, they take over the house and the, and the end of that man was worse than his beginning. And so it's, it's the same as if the children of Israel would have come out of Egypt and then never gone into the land of promise. It would have been a pointless salvation, so to speak. They came out, they spent all this time in the wilderness and then they stayed there and who knows, they might've ended up back in Egypt. I don't know what would have happened next, but God wasn't saving them just out of the world, out of Egypt. God was wanting to save them into the promised land. And this is an important part for us is because many, many times we are very aware of what we want to be saved out of or saved from. And as soon as we're kind of out of it, we're like, whew, oh, I'm glad I'm done with that. And God's saying, hold on, that was only one part of the journey. That was the beginning. When you left Egypt, when they came out of this, this is the setup. God is not even close to being done with the children of Israel yet. This is not, he doesn't even have them where he wants them yet. He is just getting them out. So first we get saved out of something. We're being, we're being prepared and called to walk into something. And what is that? It's something, it's his kingdom work. It's fellowship with him. It's knowing him, walking with him, hearing his voice, being able to respond to the brokenness of the world around us with him. And he is actually flowing through us. He wants to use us. And so what happens by the time we get to King David and King Solomon? We have the peoples of the world coming to the kingdom of, Egypt, of, of Israel and they're receiving blessing. And it's one of them is a blessed time in the kingdom of Israel. They are being a blessing to the nations. Now that is a foreshadowing of another king who's coming, the king who was crowned with the crown of thorns and his blessing went out to the whole earth. And so again, the people of the time of Jesus, they didn't understand this. this. They didn't understand what, Jesus, what God meant when he said, I'm, going, I'm setting you apart because with you, I'm going to bless the entire world. But God knew what he was doing and he was, building that together. And so for us as individual believers, we have to understand that God is at work in all the other people in the fellowship, not just our fellowship, but around the world. God's at work. He's doing stuff. He is telling stories that we can recount to each other to be encouraged. But when we get to eternity and we look back, we say, oh, it was, it was more than a story. God was redeeming his people and he was calling them all out of something into something else. And so I, I, you know, I read several different accounts this week of uh, one guy was a, a Hindu leader and he came to Christ and now he's, a, he's, he's walking with, you know, first he just wanted to get away from where he was and just wanted to get saved. The next thing you know, he's a pastor in his villages and he's going out and he's ministering to people and he's helping people come to Christ. And then you go and you find people, um, you know, right now the church in China is growing. So it's illegal to be a Christian. They have all these face recognition cameras out everywhere. Um, people are starting schools in the face of laws that say you can't have schools and they're teaching their children about Jesus. And the law says you can't do that and they're doing it anyway. And it's continuing to happen. And the, and, 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 and the Chinese government is, is, is really cracking down on it. And yet the people of God when they come out of Egypt, so to speak, out of the world, when they're actually saved, they come out and say, well, what does God have for me to walk in? And then they go do that. And so we read those accounts of other people in other places and we realize God is using them. But here's the thing is, it's not just God pulling Israel out of Egypt and then taking them to the promised land. God is pulling each of us 
from where we were and it's taking us to something else. And for us, sometimes you will be, this is to me the, the phenomenal part, sometimes you are over here and there's another person over here and you both get saved from where you are and you're being sent to the place you came from. And you arrive there and you're doing what God has asked you to do and it's some, one of the best experiences of your life. But someone else says, well, I came from there. I'm never going back there. And so you think of, um, I think the music industry is a good place, a film. When I was a young man, I was coming into, I'm talking about film, thinking God had called me to make movies. And I'm thinking, this is what God has, well, someone who grew up in Hollywood who was, was then a, now a believer and was trying to raise his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and he was coming a complete different path from where he'd grown up. He hears that I'm wanting to make movies. He goes, don't go to Hollywood. You, you can't even do movies. And he just was, he was trying to discourage me every way he knew how, because he's like, there's no way God is in that. And I'm thinking, I, I, I'm not sure how God is in it or not. I'm just telling you that it was not my idea. I was not starstruck and wanted to go to Hollywood. I literally had... God, the Spirit of God, called me and said, you are going to be a filmmaker. And so I think I'm going to be a filmmaker. And so it's possible for us to be called and that our promised land will be in a place that was Egypt and the wilderness to somebody else. So we need to have a little bit of mercy for one another because the point is, are you able to hear from God? Are you able to walk where he's called you to go? Are you able to go into like the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea was life to the Israelites and death to the Egyptians. And this happens over and over again, where God himself comes and takes us someplace. We go in and it's life to us, but for the person who's not supposed to be there, it's death. So what's God doing in your life? Is he, is he leading you? Are, are you? Is he actually taking you away from a difficulty, letting you avoid a difficulty so he can take you to an impossibility? Because he knows that if you get to the difficulty, you're gonna be, oh, that's too much. And you're quitting but the impossibility will drive you to him. Now, I love, love, love when God does the big miracle. But I will tell you this, some of the most blessed seasons of my life have been when I've been able to say, you know, that's hard, but God wants us to do it, so let's go. And you walk through the difficulties and you trust that God will also work the small miracles and the boring miracles and the daily provisions and all of that. And you just expect that you're going to go with God. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, you're going to struggle, but it's going to be good because you're doing what God wants you to do. And you come out the other side, you say, well, that was nice. I'm glad we did that. And, and you look back and say, what am I saying? That wasn't nice. That was horrible. I did not enjoy that at all. Like, there are seasons, even in our marriage, since we were making breaking the silence and other things, where I look back and I remember it fondly. But at the time, it was not fond. It was difficult. It was rough. It was hard. It wasn't what I would have called impossible, but it was hard and it was rough. And God was with me in that time. And so God may bless you with a lot of difficulties because you've already been listening and you'll keep walking through these and he will be with you the whole time because that pillar of cloud by day and the, uh, and the pillar of fire by night would have been with the Israelites right through the Philistine camp had they gone that way but they went through the Red Sea instead and they had all these other pieces. So the deliverance from Egypt foreshadows the entrance into the promised land. And this is true for each of us. How God saves you and f where he saves you from is part of your story and it's part of what God is going to use to show his greatness to the world and to, he's, he wants to demonstrate his power. So if God is saving you out of something, he's calling, 
you into something as well. He's saving you into his kingdom work. And often it will have something to do with from whence you came. Sometimes we go a long way around. If you remember when Justin Blocker with, was with us, he at the time when he first came, he was like, you know, I, I spent all that time in karate and that was, that I, I made an idol of it. I cannot ever go back to karate because I made an idol of it. And so then a couple of years go by and he says, I think God wants me to go back in karate. And so what is he doing now? He's making disciples for Christ in karate. Now, what I didn't tell him was the very first time he told me, I don't think I can go back to karate. I looked, I, I just knew he was going to go back. I was like, God is going to send him back. That's where God is going to use him because that is where he came from. He understands so much of what's going on there. His heart isn't ready. He's still in a position where if he goes back, he's going to have the problems that he had before with the, with the hero worship and other stuff. But there's coming a day God's going to send Justin right back. I just knew it. And so I couldn't tell him that, oh, Justin, that's cute, you know? I, I couldn't say that. I had to say, well, what's God going to use? And so I had fondly thought that maybe Justin and I would have many conversations, and somewhere in all of this, I could be able to convince him that God wanted to use him. But no, 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 that's not how God did it. The way God did it was there was a documentary where Dr. Tim Cassie went over and was visiting all the people of Laos and all those places, and lo and behold, in those not just in Vietnam, but in Laos and all those other places back there, the, the demon worship they used to do, they did with this one or two string instrument and it had a kind of an eerie sound to it and they had these uh, big drums that they would play with it. I uh, forget what the drums looked like. Gongs that they would use and they used it to summon the devils. That's what they did in their animistic culture. They would actually worship the devil with these things. Well, so... Dr. Tim Cassie is in there talking with them about how the churches are growing. And they're like, so here's what happened is all of our culture uses these instruments. That's what we do here. And so after we were saved, we all left that behind and we didn't do that anymore. But eventually we said, Who's, who is the Lord of all the earth and who owns these gongs and who owns the sound that these things make? They're like, that belongs to Jesus. We're not going to let the devil steal that. And so they took the gongs that they used to worship the devil with, and they brought it into their church gatherings that we're going to worship God with this. And they did. And so now they were using that to sing glory to the Lord. And they, and they explained their whole thought process. So Justin, of course, watches this and starts thinking, I wonder if this is what God wants me to do with karate. But by that time, he had also grown into a different place. And so it was way better than if I would have gone and been, hey, Justin, I've got, you know, it was much better. God was setting it up because I wouldn't have understood all the nuances. I didn't even know what God was trying to do in Justin's heart. I don't know what God's trying to do in your heart. I just know that God is wanting to do something. That's why he saved us. And he has something where he is taking us to and we're on a journey and he wants to do something with us. And so we have to be able to hear. It's great that Moses is able to hear to the Lord and obey him. But wouldn't it be awesome if the entirety of the children of Israel, instead of going, Moses, why did you bring us out here? They'd all be going, Lord, you brought us here. What do you want us to do? Wouldn't that have been awesome? I mean, I, you know, it's great that Moses goes, it's a very dramatic moment. He goes and holds out the rod over the water and it all happens. But what if the entirety of the camp would have been going, Lord, what do you want us to do? And they said, oh, we're supposed to walk that way. And they would have just turned and walked through the Red Sea in unison, nobody saying anything. Wouldn't that have been kind of cool? I, th I think it would have been. It would have been less dramatic maybe than Moses' thing, but it would, have been, it would have shown a unity of them hearing from the Lord. And so this is something that I think we sometimes don't realize is we'll see a group of people together and they're all hearing from the Lord. They're doing the same thing. And then you sometimes have to have a leader saying, I believe God wants us to do this. And we're like, yep, amen, let's go do that. 
but God is wanting to do something with his people. So our faith needs to grow. Sometimes it is easier to believe that God will miraculously provide than it is to believe that he can use me in all my weaknesses, in my daily disciplines to actually provide the miracle. I don't know if you understand this, but like, I get it. God can do what he wants to do. Can God use me? Well, I understand that there are other people, you know, like my mom, um, this is all the time things happen. Like this, here's an example. I was, this was a couple of years ago. We, our other minivan had a problem from the time I bought it. And it just had a problem where if you tried to fill it up with fuel, it would click off after about two gallons. And then the EVAP system bled too slowly. And so it would like, you'd have, it would, could take you like 20 minutes to fill up because you'd have to wait and for it to bleed through there and then you'd refill the next two gallons or whatever and it would click off again. And it was just a problem for us. It was such a frustration and I had used my mechanical skills and I had dug around and tried to figure out where the valve was, what I could replace. I couldn't figure it out. I'd even replaced the gas tank. I'd done a bunch of different pieces to this thing and it still was just this problem. And so we were all going somewhere and mom was going with us. So on the beginning of our trip, um, mom prays for the car. Like we all took turns praying and I always prayed that the Lord would protect us from bumper to bumper, protect all the systems, the transmission, the engine, all this stuff. Well, so she prays for the car, but she doesn't know how to name things. So she doesn't name things. She just prays for the whole car, that God would heal the car and keep it running and make it work properly. And so we get to the first gas station. I go out to fill it up and I'm thinking, well, this is going to be a while. And it just fills up all the way to the top, clicks off, I'm done. I'm like, that's kind of bizarre. And so it kept doing that. And as long as we had the car, it never went back to the other way. God healed our car when mom prayed for it without knowing how to pray for it, (laughs) you know? She didn't know how to pray about the transmission and the engine and all the pieces. She just prayed for the car. And so, but this is something that I've noticed my whole life is like when mom prays, God hears and things happen. And so I could say, well, you know, hey mom, can you pray for this? And, And that's fine. I can ask for prayer. But what about me praying? What about me walking with the Lord and learning how to pray? There was a, this was now probably again, 20 years ago, there was a, a lady in town, this was back in Texas, and she loved the Lord and she prayed for all of her children and grandchildren. And when she died, several of her grandchildren um, started coming to one of mom's Bible studies and they said, we just have a problem because grandma used to pray for all of us and now no one's left to pray and we don't know how to pray. And uh, several of them got saved because they came and because mom was like, well, you can pray too. And I hated to tell them like, well, you know, my mom is one of those, you know, so they didn't get to adopt mom as their prayer warrior, but she led them to the Lord and they were able to then pray for themselves. And that's powerful. And so, so this is part of our journey is God is saying, I don't just want Moses to always be the leader. I want all of you to be able to hear and to know that there is a God in heaven and that you can walk with me and I have work for you to do. And so as we go through the account in the Old Testament and we see all the different people that God uses, we realize that God really is always looking for who is listening. Who's listening to the voice of the Lord? Who is listening to what God is doing? Who is walking down the street, seeing the pain that's in the world going, Lord, what do you want to do? Is there something you want me to do? Is there something you want me to say? There's always an opportunity for each of us to be hearing from the Lord. 
And so this is, I call it the wilderness way because God takes us through various paths in order to show us, he's trying to show us he's going to be with us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. And children of Israel, they have manna. They have the visible presence of God. They have instruction from the Lord on what to do and, and God provides for them. It's amazing. They have deliverance from their enemies. And so... We, like the Israelites, might have a tentative faith and we bump into someone else like Moses who has an active faith. And the, the, the person with the active, active faith is encouraging others and obeying God. And so then for us who have a tentative faith, we might see that and say, okay, I also need to believe. And here's the problem with where I might go with my personal faith. I might go in and say, okay, as long as God is performing quickly enough, then I'm okay. So God, if you would have just immediately split the Red Sea, that would have been awesome, but you didn't. You left me time to go question Moses. Well, I should have taken that time to actually seek the Lord, not question Moses. So I, I want to be in a place where I'm not just tentative in my faith, where I'm not waiting, uh, just saying, well, God, if you do it now, Lord. Oh, yep, God's still not that way. I want it to be where I am able to throw myself on Christ and to wait on the Lord and to hear from him. And if it takes me days or if it takes minutes, that's not the point. The point is that I am listening to the Lord and he's able to do what he wants to know. We get to follow the path of the Israelites. We don't get to see what happened to the Egyptians back home. And so in the same way, there will be times when God is going to lead you and you'll get to follow, walk with someone and get to hear their stories. You might not know what else is happening, but you can know the Lord and what he's wanting to do with you. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm just going to ask specifically that I want God to be able to use us through the difficulties, not just bring us to an impossibility every so often that we don't know what to do with, that we cry out for. But if we do need the impossibilities, that God would, we, I want to see God's hand at work. But I want to get past that. I want to get to the point where if God says point A to point B, we say, yes, sir, and we walk through the difficulty, not through the wilderness and over here and over there that God has to provide for us. But we just say, you want us to go? And we go. And if it's hard, so be it. If we die on the way, so be it. We're going to obey God. That's what I want it to be like in my life is where I am able to hear and then respond. And on the same time, God might put me in a waiting pattern at times where I'm waiting on somebody else or something else. And I want to be able to hear from the Lord well enough to trust that he is good and to trust that he is growing my faith and to not have to demand that God performs for me every single time, but to be able to trust that he is God, he is good, and he is rescuing me from something and to something at the same time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all of us who are here and for those who are watching online and, and for all of our families that we interact with and the other people of faith that we interact with on a daily or a weekly basis. But I pray that you would strengthen us to walk in obedience to you, to know you, to hear you. And Father, that we would be willing to walk through difficult times if that's where you're calling us. But Lord, I also thank you so much that you protect us at the times when you know that the difficulty will, be, will prove too great for us, that, we will, that it will discourage us where we are not walking in faith anymore, Lord, you take us other ways. Thank you for doing that. Thank you that you're with us. And Lord, I pray for each of us that you would give us 
allow us to see something of your visible presence the way you did for the children of Israel. Lord, we don't have to have the exact pillar of cloud and fire, but Lord, we would like to see or in sense that you are with us. And so we just ask you for that blessing, that as we walk in the world where you've called us to walk, that we would be able to see your hand and your presence. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.